Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A congressional representative from Washington State is calling for the immediate action to free a captive orca that performs shows in the Miami Seaquarium. It's the latest in an ongoing effort to release the orca known as Tokatai back into the wild. Indigenous people in the Pacific Northwest see orcas as relatives and have also been working to free Tokatai. We'll get more native perspectives on orcas right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The ousted leader of Canada's Assembly of First Nations says she wants her job back. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, Roseanne Archibald is calling on her supporters to tell their chiefs and councils to reinstate her. Archibald was voted out as National Chief of the AFN last week. That came after a year of controversy over her leadership and in part over allegations related to complaints that AFN staff had filed against her. She was the first woman to serve in the role of National Chief of the organization and was in the job for just over two years. 70% of the chiefs and council members voted her out of the job. But Archibald says the human rights complaints and investigation against her were a distraction because she had made allegations of corruption within the AFN and was calling for a forensic audit. I want to be reinstated because I have a sacred responsibility that I have to fulfill. And there has to be ceremony before I begin that journey and at the end. And what the chiefs did on June 28th is they ignored that ceremony. They ignored our sacred ways. And they just went ahead and did one of the most violent acts against an Indigenous First Nation woman leader ever in a national kind of way, in a world stage kind of way. And that is not acceptable. Archibald is a Cree leader from Ontario who first entered the political arena in 1989 as a youth activist. She became her community's youngest and first female chief a year later. In 2000, she led a blockade and hunger strike against logging on her First Nations territory. In 2021, she became the AFN's first woman national chief, pledging to clean up the organization. She is now also the first national chief officially voted out of office. But chiefs who voted against her said they took the action not because of her gender, but because it had everything to do with her actions, competence and performance. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Native people held a march on 4th of July, closing down a downtown street in Rapid City, focused on policing of the local Native community. Now police are responding, as South Dakota Public Broadcasting's C.J. Keene reports. The protest was organized by Rapid City-based Native advocacy group Indian Collective. Sonny Redbear is a local organizer with the group who gave a list of demands at a press conference before the march. Number one is end the killing of Indigenous people by the police. Two, an immediate civil rights inquiry into the Rapid City Police Department and Pennington County Sheriff's Office. Three, release of all body camera footage. Four, the removal of school resource officers. Five, rescind SB4. Six, defund the police and increase community controlled education programming and funding. And seven, third-party investigations of police and sheriff's office. 
SB4 is a South Dakota law that allows the court system to recommend repeat juvenile offenders to the State Department of Corrections. In response, RCPD spokesperson Brendan Medina focused on the scope of these issues. We, we've heard their demands loud and clear, and uh, the, the reality is, is it's going to take more agencies than just the, the Rapid City Police Department and the Pennington County Sheriff's Office to come to the table. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're willing to be at that table moving forward, but it's going to take more than just us. The Pennington County Sheriff's Office did not return request for comment. For National Native News in Rapid City, I'm CJ Keen. The Alaska Federation of Natives Convention will return to Anchorage this fall, highlighting subsistence and the Alaska Native cultural connection to the land. AFN is the state's largest convention, drawing in people from across the state. Economists say it pumps millions of dollars into the Anchorage economy, as people typically extend their stay to attend other meetings, as well as the Elders and Youth Conference. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Nobody likes a crowded highway. A crowded crib is even worse. For a safe night's sleep, use a fitted sheet only and be sure there are no toys, blankets, or pillows around your baby. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling your National Humanities Medal-winning radio show and podcast. Calls to free a captive orca are gaining momentum after the Miami Seaquarium said it is working to rehabilitate and return the animal to the open ocean. The action to free the orca, Tokatai, is something tribes and animal rights advocates have long pushed for. It's an expensive and risky prospect, but the Lummi tribe and others who have strong cultural connections to orca say it's long overdue. We'll get updates on Tokatai today and also hear about their cultural importance. And as always, we welcome you to our conversation. Are you following the efforts to free Tokatai? Are you watching the news about a pod of orcas that have sunk three boats in Europe and damaged several others? Give us a call to tell us what you know about orcas and the challenges they face in the Pacific and other oceans around the world. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also one 800 99 native phone lines are now open. Joining us from Lummi tribal lands in northwest Washington state is Skilahela Raynell Morris. She's a matriarch and elder of the Lummi, a board member for Friends of Toki, and vice president of the Sacred Lands Conservancy. Raynell, welcome back to Native America Calling. Joining us from Seattle, Washington. Looks like we're going to have to wait on Raynell, folks. Joining us from Seattle, Washington is Sweetwater Nanook. She's the director of Idle No More Washington. 
She's a traditional storyteller, dancer, singer, and activist. She's Tlingit, Haida, and Simshian. Sweetwater, are you there? It's great to have you on the show. Yes, Sean. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. Well, we're going to get into this conversation and learn a little bit more about these efforts to free this specific orca. But before we do that, I'd just like to ask you to, to give us some background and tell us more about the significance and importance of orcas among your Tlingit people. Yes. Um, as most Native people here on the Northwest Coast, we have a deep connection with the killer whale. And uh, I have a story to share with you today. And um, that comes from my people, uh, from the Dakhloedi, my great-grandmother of Keith Kwan, the town that never sleeps in southeast Alaska. And um, this story is about Nazi Slane and the first killer whale. So Nazi Slane, he married a woman from the Taukanedi, the winterside people from Klawak. And so he went down there to live with her and be with her people, her and her people there. Nazi Slane, he was a he was a great hunter, great fisherman, great warrior, but he tended to brag about himself too much. And this angered other people, made people jealous of him, and uh, including his brother-in-laws. So they plotted to um, get rid of him. So one day they took Nazi Slane out uh, sea lion hunting with him. They invited him out there on their canoe. They paddled out to Duke Island. And a Nazi Slane brought his uh, crampon shoes as a form of snowshoes, his harpoon. And once they got out there, he jumped off the canoe and climbed up on the rocks and began um, killing uh, sea lions. After he got gotten enough, he called to his brother-in-laws to come and come closer so he can load up the sea lions. But the brother-in-laws didn't. They just watched him and started to drift away. Their plan was to leave him there to die. The youngest brother-in-law was feeling bad. He didn't want to leave Nazi Slane there. So he started paddling and trying to get back to the, the island. But his older brothers took the paddle away from him. And so they left him there and they went back to the village. And they told everybody that Nazi Slane was bashed against the rocks. And everyone knew the tides, the you know, the current there, the, on those islands. So nobody doubted their story. So Nazi Slane was stuck out there. He didn't know how and what he was going to do. So he wrapped himself up in his cedar bark uh, blanket and was trying to keep warm. As he sat there, he heard a voice say to him, Iyagawusu. That means I'm a supernatural being. I've come here to help you. And Nazi Slane, he knew uh, the superpower was intervening on his behalf. So he, he looked around and all he seen was a seagull. And he looked at it and said, surely that was not the seagull speaking to me. So he wrapped himself up again in his cedar bark uh, blanket and was peeking through a hole. And the seagull said again, three more times, Iagawusu, Iagawusu, Iagawusu. So he was telling him to follow him. So Nazi Slane followed the seagull to the other side of the island. 
there was a doorway, a hatch down by the water, and lifted up. And he walked down these stairs into the water. And he entered the house of the sea lions. In many of our stories, uh, when we come into uh, animals' homes and houses, they, they look just like us. They look like human beings. So he went down there, and he seen a, a circle of people. And there was the chief, the sea lions. And looking down on the on the ground in the middle of the circle was his his son. His son was injured. He had a spearhead in his side. And everybody was just quietly waiting. There was an ich medicine man there. They could do. They didn't know what to do to help him. And so Nazi Fene thought to himself, why don't they remove that spearhead from his side? The medicine man knew what he was thinking. So he said to the chief, this one, he says he can cure your son. And Nazi Fene said, no, 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 I am no medicine man. I, I, I can't help him. So they started just watching the boy again. And as they were waiting, Nazi Flané was looking around at their beautiful house and how they lived and much of their beautiful art. He seen some killer whales that they had made and carved and other belongings there. And he looked again at the boy and he thought, they should at least remove that spearhead from his side, give him some relief. And the medicine man said to the chief again, this man... He says he can cure your son. So the chief said to Nazi Fene, would you please help him? Can you try? They've also all have failed. If you help him, I'll give you anything you want, anything you need. And Nazi Fene, he asked for some hot seawater and something to wrap the wounds with. And he had noticed there on the wall, there was this uh, stomach of a seal. It was like a balloon. The chief noticed Nazi Fene looking at it. It contained the shoreward wind, that balloon. He said, that balloon will be yours. If you will help cure my son, it could take you home back to your people. So as uh, the water heated up and was ready, Nazi Fliné cleaned the wound and, and wrapped it up. He removed the spear, the spearhead from the young prince's side. And, and instantly, the young man was had some relief. So today we have a uh, proverb, an old trinket proverb that says, he was like one who had a spear removed. So the chief kept his word and... Uh, they took Nazi Fene and they told him, you think about going home. You think about being back by your people. Don't think about being back here. And so they put him in the balloon and they, they tossed him one, two, three, four times. And they threw him out onto the water and he started floating and bouncing along on the water. And after a while, Nazi Fene thought to himself, those were really some fine people I was among. I'm lucky that they, they found me and saved me. Pretty soon he could feel himself up on the beach. And it was he was back on the island. 
the sea lions opened up the bag and said, we told you not to think like that. You think about being back home or you're going to be stuck out here. And so they tied him back up in the balloon and tossed him one, two, three, four times and sent him on his way. Nazi Fene, he could feel himself going and going. He just focused on being back home. And pretty soon he felt himself, um, you know, land up on the beach and he got out. He was away from the village, not right in front of the village. And as he was walking back to the village, he seen his wife. She was out on the rocks there crying for her husband she thought had died. The way we cherished one another back then, the way we loved one another, the way we didn't want to lose one another, she was there crying for her husband. And she was surprised and happy to see Nazi Fene. And um, he told her, go get my carving tools, bring me some food. And... uh, and she did, and he told her, don't tell anybody I'm back. So he went away from the village, and, and he's carving. He was going to carve some killer whales. And that day, another spirit came to him and instructed him and told him how to, to carve these killer whales that he'd seen in the sea lion's house. And there he was. He was trying different woods, you know. But the best he found was uh, yellow cedar worked the best. So he carved several killer whales. Well, Sweetwater, that's a a beautiful, beautiful story that you were gracious enough to share with us on the air. We do have to take a break, but we'll be right back with more on killer whales here on Native America Calling today. Indigenous medicinal practitioners and advocates worry mainstream consumption of psychedelics are putting a strain on the supply of medicine they consider sacred. We'll check in with those fighting for better access by indigenous people who use psychedelics in ceremony. That's on the next Native America Calling. From round dance to exhibition dance, you always come prepared. Why not do the same with your health? Schedule your wellness visits and never miss a beat. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov coverage or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about orcas or killer whales today. How does your tribe view orcas? Are there other animals that hold significance in your culture? Tell us about them. Join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And on our show today, we have Sweetwater Nanook, who is telling us a story, a really, really captivating, compelling story. Sweetwater, I'm sorry we did have to take a break, but please continue, finish your story for us. All right. Thank you, Sean. Yes, so Nazi Slane finished carving the killer whales, and then he instructed them to go and um, 
He wanted revenge on his brother-in-laws who plotted to kill him. But he told them, but not the younger one, the youngest brother-in-law, because he tried to save me. And so the next day, the brother-in-laws went out, were out, uh, went hunting. They went out on their canoe, and they were going to paddle to an island to go hunting. And the killer whales came upon them, and they did kill them. They did break their canoe in half, and but not the youngest brother-in-law. And so he he drifted ashore on that broken canoe, and uh, he composed a song in remembrance of his brothers who had just died. It's called the Drifted Ashore Killer Whale Song. And it's still sung today at times of mourning. And so Nazi Flané, though, he felt really bad about what he had done. And so he he told the killer whales never to harm another human being ever again. And so that's why the killer whales, they don't hurt. They uh, Some of them are, they, they eat anything in the sea. Other killer whales, great white sharks, deer, you know, sea lion, seal. They don't. They don't hunt humans. And so Nazi Lene, he never got over that. He felt really bad, and he went away from the village, and he died of guilt. And uh, so that story, though, has many teachings that I share a little bit because many people don't know those teachings today, such as uh, four is a sacred number of the Fenget. And the seagull calling them four times, tossing them four times, or the importance about not bragging about ourselves. Mm -hmm. It creates anger and jealousy, especially among our opposites, the uh, uh, brother-in-laws, people of our opposite clan, which is our most important uh, foundation and connection to our, our people. And Sweetwater. Um, also the power of our thoughts. So sure, thank you. Sure. Absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time. And, and before we move on to our next guest, though, what is the traditional Tlingit name for Orca? Keet. Keet. I'm going to try and pronounce Keet. that. Keet. Keet. Yes, Keet. Okay. All right. Okay. Sweetwater Nanook, director of Idle No More Washington, traditional storyteller here on Native America Calling. Again, we are talking about orcas today. If you know anything about orcas, killer whales, Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. I'm going to reintroduce our next guest, Skilahela Raynell Morris, matriarch and elder of the Lummi, board member for Friends of Toki and vice president of the Sacred Lands Conservancy. Raynell, welcome back to our show. Hi, Squitil. Good morning. Hi, Scott, for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, after listening to that beautiful story by Sweetwater, I'd like you to, to bring us up to the present here and these current efforts uh, to free this specific orca from the Miami Seaquarium. Please start us off. When did this all begin, these efforts to free this specific orca? Because there are, are still dozens of orcas, as I understand, in captivity around the world in sea parks and aquariums. Well, Skelly Tuctanut is her traditional name, and she was captured in 1970. She was about four years old from the L-pod of the Southern Resident Killer Whales. And she is the only survivor of that capture. And she is the oldest surviving Southern Resident Killer Whale in captivity over in Miami in the Seaquarium. And we have been advocating 
for her to be returned to her family. She's a relative of ours. And when we do that, it'll start healing her, heal her family, and heal her people. Because our late Chief Salik said when they stole her, that broke the strand in the web of life. And we won't be able to heal until she's home. Mm. Now, as I understand it, there's increased momentum to free this Orca, um, how confident are you that these efforts will lead to fruition? She is coming home in 2023. We have partnered with the owner of Miami Sea Aquarium, Eduardo Elbar, and the Friends of Toki, which is a historic partnership. And they've agreed she needs to be returned to the Sailor's Sea. The mayor of Miami, Mayor Cava, is part of this partnership. They all agree she needs to come home. So there's this eclectic team that's been formed with the Friends of Toki, the Dolphin Company, and now we have a, a financer that is part of it is Jim Ursi, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, that is going to fund the construction of her home and the transport of her return home. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like a lot of people that are, are really engaged, uh, some big time partners as well that are kicking in to make this a reality. Now, earlier in the show, Raynell, I referred to the orca as Tokatai. You shared the orca's traditional name as well as the name Toki. Please explain the differences there. Tokatai, Toki, how do we get from point A to point B there? Well, uh, it is confusing for a lot of people all over the world. But once they hear her story, they understand the evolution of her name. The veterinary from the Miami Sea Aquarium flew to Seattle at the 1970 capture to pick out young whales that he wanted the aquarium to purchase and bring back to Miami. And he named her he thought was a Coast Salish traditional name, Tokatai. It's not a Lactamish name where she comes from, but this was a non-tribal vet. So they bought her, they flew her in 1970 in September back to Miami. And then when they started training her to perform with her tank mate, also from the Alpot, had been there a couple of years, Hugo, they gave her a show name which is Lolita. So she performed for decades under that show name of Lolita. And then as more and more awareness built for, you know, the campaign to bring her home, people started calling her Toki. It's an endearing nickname uh, that a lot of non-tribal folks use for her. Mm -hmm. The Lactamish people, we did a naming a traditional naming for her and her family. Her lactamish name is Skelly Taktanat, which is the female version of where she was captured in 1970 in Penco. Thank you for that background, Rennell. Now, okay, so Sea Aquarium down in Miami, Florida. Where exactly will Toki be released? Will she go back to the Pacific Northwest or will she be there in waters there along the Gulf of Mexico or the Florida coast? I'm not clear. Well, the 
All right. I believe we might have lost Raynell. Are you there? Okay. I'm going to go back to Sweetwater now. And Sweetwater, um, listening to this story of Toki or, or Tokatai and this orca who's being freed, and I, I'm amazed to learn that orca have very distinct personalities and the way they behave is, is very relatable to human beings. And, and Sweetwater, as I understand it, you yourself have had some very personal moments with orcas. Can you share some examples of when you've interacted personally? Yes. Um, well, it goes back farther than me. It was my great-grandfather. Uh, there was a story about him. He was a fisherman and had a seine boat. And um, one day he was out, he was going to Juneau, and he seen this pot of killer whales. They were just kind of, you know, being killer whales, jumping around and having fun. And because and, we see them as like our relatives, you know. Mm-hmm. And for him, because my great-grandmother was Dachshawadi, which their main crest is the killer whale. And so he, see, he, he called out to them. He was just kind of teasing them. And he said, oh, ho, I'll race you to Juno." He called out to them. <laughs> and pretty soon the leader of the killer whale came under, right under their seine boat. And he was gently tapping his tail on the boat as they were going along. And he was kind of teasing him back, you know. <laughs> and, and so it was kind of even making him off course a little bit. And uh, my great-grandfather called out, you know, three more times. Oh, I'll race you to Juno. And the third time, the killer whales got in formation and started racing them to Juno. <laughs> and they go. beat them. They left them in their wake. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. I had an experience because I was born, my mother is Simpson and Haida, born in Metlakatla. So I was born in Ketchikan. But I moved to Kiklan, uh, which the white people called Cake. It's a village. And we were out on a just a little cabin cruiser with my uncle and auntie, my cousin, and and this we were in this cove, you know, just on a Sunday drive kind of thing. And this killiwell came right up to us and was right under our little cabin cruiser, which is only 30, 35 foot little cabin cruiser. And just like that killiwell did, it was like we were riding the killiwell for like five or ten minutes, a long time seemed like. And I felt like she was coming up because she had a baby with her. I feel like she was coming up to say, hey, my grandfather knew your grandfather, and we raced him to Juno. I was a, just a young one then. I remember that, but, and we beat him. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the timeline here fits because I, I know killer whales can live very long, well into their hundreds. Toki, I believe, is in her 50s, which would make her middle-aged. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the elders, the, the, the women, the females are like the, the matriarchs of the killer whale. They're the ones who teach and, and guide the, the younger killer whales. Interesting, interesting. I want to go back to Raynell now. And Raynell, earlier I had asked you to describe you know, this process for how Toki will be moved and, and where exactly will she be set free? Well, everybody agrees this is, you know, we believe ancestors are clearing her path home. And so she'll come back to the Sailing Sea in a sea pen for as long as she needs. As she's been in captivity, 
She's in a tiny tank that's only 80 feet long, 35 feet wide. She herself is 20 feet long and over 700, 700 excuse me, 7,000 pounds. So she can't dive. She can't fast swim for any distance. So she would not be able to keep up with her mother and the LPOD, the rest of her, her family. And so she has to uh, get stronger with her spirit, get stronger with her body. So she'll be in a C-pen and be cared for for as long as she needs to be able to be free and, and be her. Okay. So will that that device then that she's encased in, will that be be pulled by a boat all the way around up to the to the coast of Washington, that area? It'll be built uh, on the site that's okay. selected. The sea pen will be 250 feet long, 100 feet wide, and 30 feet deep. So you can see the comparison where she's lived mm-hmm. to uh, where her new home would be. We call it her Lummy Talk, her Lummy Home. So she'll have plenty of room to exercise and to be cared for. So we're really okay. excited because it will be. Okay. And, and Rennell, how confident are you? Because it sounds like she's going to have to be reacclimated to living in the wild. She's going to have to build that strength and stamina. And I've read that some scientists and animal rights activists argue that captive orcas, they lose that ability to survive in the ocean. And in some ways, they're better off just left in captivity. What, what's your response when you hear people make comments like that? Well, you know, they have no faith or belief in the resilience of Quithalmachin. That's our word for killer whales. We look at her mother, who is 95 in the matriarch of the L-Pod, was just spotted two days ago uh, doing her job teaching an 11-year-old young mother of a new calf in the L-Pod how to be a mom and swimming. And we also know from Keiko, who has moved from Mexico to Oregon and Oregon to Iceland, he was almost dead when they decided to move him and he lived another five years she is strong she is in good health we know who her family is well we didn't know who Keiko's family is so you know it's not um, their fault that they don't know or don't believe it's just a lack of knowledge and faith Okay. And Raynell, with regard to this pod, because as I understand it, orcas live in these communities called pods, and will she need to be reaccepted, or is there any issue with regard to how those other orcas will relate to her when she comes home? Well, we're not um, looking at reintroducing her to her family. The, the goal is to get her in her native waters and to rehab her. But my belief is, no, she is not going to be shunned or excluded. Her mother is the matriarch, the leader of that L-pod. And so they are taught a song when they're born. She was four when she was stolen. So she knows her song. She knows her family song. So once she hears her 
pod singing the L-Pod song, she'll know it. Just like we know and can remember things when we were babies, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. She will, too, yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here, but I uh, did look up some interesting factoids on the website whales.org, and uh, contrary to popular opinion, orca are not technically whales. They're actually the largest member of the dolphin family. A male orca can be nearly 33 feet or 10 meters in length and weigh around 22,000 pounds, and orcas are highly intelligent and able to coordinate hunting tactics as well as other activities there in oceans around the world where they reside. Anybody with some thoughts or insights on orcas, a.k.a. killer whales, give us a call. Our phone lines are still open, 1-800-996-2848. Support by AARP. Despite their service to our country, U.S. military vets, active duty service members, and their families are targeted by con artists significantly more than civilians and are 40% more likely to lose money than civilians. Vigilance is our number one weapon against fraud. You have the power to protect yourself. If an offer sounds too good to be true, it probably is. More at aarp.org slash vetsfraudnetwork. We're glad you can join us. You're listening to Native America Calling. There's still time to get in in our conversation today about orcas. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our phone lines are open, folks, so if you give a call right now, we'll get you on the air, 1-800-996-2848. And our guests today are Sweetwater Nanook, who is a Tlingit, Haida, and Tsimshian storyteller and activist, and also Raynell Morris, who is a board member for Friends of Toki and Vice President of the Sacred Lands Conservancy. And Raynell, I understand that Toki recently got sick. Can you tell us about what happened and how serious that was? Well, in October of 2022, Sean, she was deathly ill, and she had an infection And we weren't sure why the medications weren't working. We have a world-renowned group of um, vets that take care of her, and they found some antibiotics that they could give her orally that was manufactured in Japan. And because of her story, compels so many people to care about what happens to her, the um, FDA and the Japanese manufacturers, they all band together and they got the medication and she still takes it to this day. The infection cleared up, it's not completely gone, but she regained some stability in her medical being and her spirit is so strong, the new owner has allowed me to go in and do cultural spiritual ceremony with her and i just got back a week ago she is enjoying her health enjoying the strength of her spirit she sang with me she danced to the drum she did a tail slap three times and drenched me water was coming off my cedar hat and it was just a blessing to 
see her happy and joyful and um, making choices, finding her voice. Mm, that's wonderful to hear. And Rinell, at the heart of this issue and, and something we really want to address on the show today is this whole issue of of orcas being held in captivity and of course these um, sea parks and aquariums and I know about 10 years ago there was a documentary that came out called Blackfish and it was just a scathing scathing editorial on the conditions with which these orcas live and how they're treated and um, how how effective are these efforts just globally? Because we're talking just about Toki today, but there are still, as I understand, dozens of orcas in captivity. And, and how important is it to you that all of these orcas are eventually freed and returned home? Well, the Lactamish people, just like Sweet, Sweetwater and her people and culture, we believe the finned, the two-legged, the four-legged, the winged, we're all people once, too, and our late chief said you have to respect them all. So just like people, nobody should be held against their will. Nobody should be held and taken away from their family, from their home, from their language, from their traditional foods. So we believe they all should be returned to their families, and if not, to sanctuaries where they can live uh, without fear without having to perform for food mm -hmm. and be safe. So here in the North America, Skelly Tucknut is the longest held, but we also have a northern resident, uh, Corky. And we just lost a killer whale in Canada a couple of months ago. So it's critical that everyone understands that is not educational to have captive citations. And more and more people are getting educated and understanding that aquariums and zoos have to change how they're educating uh, people. You don't need live animals and citations to do it. There's so much technology that they can use to do it in 360. So they all need to be uh, release and captivity needs to end and the movement is going that way globally around the world there's a movement called rights of nature so the UN has declared the rights of nature several municipalities in Washington State and in Oklahoma and other places have passed proclamations and resolutions for rights of nature rights of rivers what rights of whales rights of fish Mm -hmm. So it's, it is a global movement, Sean. Okay. And these sea parks and aquariums, I mean, we're talking big business here. For instance, this Miami Sea Aquarium, were they hesitant at first? I mean, it, I would imagine that it took some negotiating to get them to agree to this release. Well, it's been a long time coming. The Dolphin Company just purchased the Miami Sea Aquarium in March of 2022. The previous owners, their parent company was in Sweden, EQT, and their American uh, company was in California, Palace Entertainment. Uh, they didn't uh, want to negotiate. They didn't want to talk. They felt like they knew what was best for Skelly Chuck to not. 
So we came to a real dead end with them. But once the Dolphin Company uh, applied for the licensing under USDA, we were able to right away have a conversation with them. And they were good listeners in the beginning to learn what we were asking, why, who was she, what's her culture. It's unheard of for indigenous people to be allowed to go in with a marine mammal citation or any animal to do spiritual and cultural ceremony. And the dolphin company has allowed me to go in, I believe it's seven times to do that. So they've respected her culture. They've respected who she is. I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Raynell, thank you uh, for all these insights. I want to go back to Sweetwater now. And Sweetwater, we have time for another story. We've got about five and a half minutes or so, but I know you have another story uh, about uh, a fishing boat and it had an interaction with an orca. Can you tell us that story as well? Well, I, I did share the story of my grandfather in the fishing boat and with me that I also have... Uh, other stories with the interaction with uh, one about on the annual canoe journey here. Uh, is there one I'll where I'm sorry? Is there one where an orca got caught in a net? Oh yeah, 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 that, that one. one. Yeah, I, okay. I think that one would be really this helpful. was a long time ago during my great grandfather's time too. Okay. Um, up in Alaska, there was the during uh, herring season. There was this. Um, it was uh, non-natives. Uh, up there fishing, and they caught a killer whale in their net, and they brought it up, and they killed it. They beat it to death. And then um, the next day, they were surrounded by the pod of killer whales, and they were angry. They were charging them. They were aggressive, and they were, yeah, they were mad for what these non-natives had done to their one of their own. And, and so... That whole summer, the killer whales were after that, that fishing boat, chasing it. They didn't catch any fish that year. Mm. Not only were they just aggressively in keeping the fish away from that fishing boat, they had bad luck, things breaking down, things going wrong the whole, the whole summer long. So that's what we believe that the, the killer whale has power. You know, like in my story, Yagawusu, I'm a supernatural being. They have, they have powers too. And that's why we're taught to respect them, you know? So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. And so they, they definitely knew that boat and knew what those fishermen had, had done. Well, Rennell, or excuse me, Sweetwater, I mean, relating that story that happened years ago to this new recent event with these killer whales attacking boats in Europe. I mean, because earlier you said that they they don't they don't go after humans they don't hunt humans so any thoughts as to what's provoking these whales in these boats in Europe? Right, I mean they don't kill humans. <laughs> mm -hmm. They might attack their boat, but I do believe it, it was out for revenge too, like what they did up there in Alaska. Somebody hurt that um, the elder there, uh, White Gladys, and she came back and destroyed their rudder and sunk and start teaching the younger ones. 
And just like many animals actually going on today, not just the killer whales, there's buffalo tossing tourists and coyotes chasing and biting skiers and a lot going on. You know, people just don't have respect for animals. I think with, with indigenous native people, First Nations people, native people, we we see them as our relatives and they we respect them. And they likewise treat us with respect. Like, uh, you know, and I believe, I think if, I know they would never listen to me, but if somebody who ever hurt the original one who harmed uh, Gladys apologized and gave her an offering, that might subside, but I, I know they would never listen to indigenous knowledge like this. Well, maybe they would, that though. Goes to re- maybe they would. I mean, listening to, yeah. to Raynell talk, I mean, Raynell, do you think? I mean, listening to that, Gladys was the leader uh, or is the leader of a, a European pod, and, and Raynell Sweetwater suggests maybe just making an apology. I mean, is that that unrealistic to expect at this point? No, it's not unrealistic. We've done that uh, seven times with our late chief, Salik, gone out and offered life Chinook with prayer and song and apologized for what we've done to the water, apologized what we've done to the salmon, apologized for their family members being stolen and killed. We've done it seven times, so we believe that that's necessary to do. Okay. Sweetwater, earlier you mentioned how, as people, we often just don't respect wildlife and animals, orcas and others. And I just want to ask you, we're going to have to wrap up here in a few minutes, but how do you express your reverence for orcas and other sea creatures? Through prayer, through our songs, sharing our stories, you know, and um, and they know it. They receive it. I know, like we have, you know, I go on an annual canoe journey. I was going to share with you a friend of mine, Birdie, who's from the Lower Elwha tribe. Uh, she had the Pink Paddle Project, which is breast cancer survivors. She started that canoe family. And one year on Paddle to Cowichan, they got separated from their support boats, which are there for their safety. And the weather got bad, and they got separated from them. And this pot of killer whales came up surrounded them and guided them safely across and so that's so the killer whales know us as indigenous people we're the ones praying for them apologizing to them uh, feeding them feeding their spirit you know helping them to to not giving up on them to be free but i guess i was referring to there over in spain and portugal i don't think those people would uh, would think about apologizing to those killer whales they've harmed. <laughs> and that's where the difference lies. This is our traditional, our indigenous knowledge that mm-hmm. people are starting to wake up to now today and starting to understand we know something. We know something about this, and so do the killer whales. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Sweetwater. And Rinell, I want to go back to you here for, for the last word. And looking ahead now, uh, Toki is one example of, a, of an orca, but... Overall, how, how confident are you that, that the orca populations will, will survive going forward? Because I know there's just a lot working against them with regard to, to food sources and, and changing water conditions and such. What do you think the, the future holds for orcas? Well, our late chief, Salik, told us that it's a sacred obligation to heal the Salish Sea 
heal the salmon. We're salmon people. And to heal Quivalmachan, to heal the orcas. So it will be, we believe it will be. We now know people are understanding, like Sweetwater said, that the indigenous ways were never to make resources extinct. It was always to take only what you need and to care for it. So I believe that through the teachings, they're going to be resilient. They're, they are. They're going to come back. Salmon's going to come back. And it'll help the healing in this to begin when Skelly Chaktanut is returned home. We believe that is going to be uh, reality in 2023. She's coming home. And Sweetwater, back to you. How confident are you in the future for orcas and and other sea creatures? Well, I appreciate Raynell and the work they've been doing. I've always supported that when they've come through Seattle for, you know, uh, Jewel James and Freddie Lane carving totem poles and raising awareness and people coming together to save the salmon and, and re, you know, restore all what damage has been done will contribute to the survival of our, our relatives, the killer whales. So, but it will take all of us. And that's, 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 you know, it's been predicted or in prophecies of many indigenous cultures that we all have to come together and to undo this and strive for a better world for, for all of us. Sweetwater, Nanook, Raynell Morris, I want to thank you both for what's been a really moving conversation about orca, orcas and their significance, of course, to our Native people. Please join us again tomorrow here on Native America Calling. We'll have a conversation about indigenous access to hallucinogenic medicine. Until then, thank you for listening to the one, the only Native America Calling. Did you know that bare space is best when it comes to your baby's sleep? That's right. When you keep their crib free from toys, pillows, blankets, and other loose objects, you can drastically reduce the risk of suffocation. All your little one needs is to be placed on their back atop a tightly fitted sheet to ensure a safer night's rest. More infant sleep safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.